Last week, two newspapers from completely opposite coasts, literally and figuratively, both published opinion pieces on what's called cancel culture. Cancel culture is when businesses or individuals find themselves experiencing boycotts for having said or done something deemed to be questionable. And it seems to be growing more complicated and emotional with each passing day. But the interesting thing was that the editorial boards of the Seattle Times and the New York Post, both coming from completely opposite political and philosophical positions, wrote pieces that condemned this controversial phenomenon. While they both kind of blame or put the bulk of the responsibility on the other for this cancel culture, what was remarkable was how they kind of found themselves in agreement with each other. The Seattle Times wrote, thanks to the way right-wing pundits and politicians have weaponized the term cancel culture to stir up the passions of their audiences and constituents, it's easy for people on the left to dismiss concerns that the campaign for equity and justice sometimes strays into an unforgiving, illiberal push for purity of thought. But the fact is, good people are seeing their careers ruined for offenses that are forgivable human failings, not heinous acts of bias or hate. While the New York Post opined, in this world the left has created, there is no path to forgiveness, there is no redemption, there is only smug dismissal. The cancel monsters will find that no one is pure enough and no one can change, they'll burn everyone and everything down. What was fascinating is recognizing that they both get part of it correct, but they're both blind to something far bigger and more important. This isn't about politics between the right and the left, or a cultural fight about some celebrity, or what business sends money to what organization. This is ultimately about the eternal fight of good versus evil, which is evidenced by their frustration and their shock and their surprise for, as they put it, that there's no forgiveness, no redemption, only smug dismissal. While they conveniently place the blame on the other out there for that being the case. Which is why what we're doing here tonight is of such importance. Every year, we enter into this most important sacred time of year called Holy Week, beginning with this proclamation of the passion and death of Jesus Christ. And unlike any other Sunday, this is the one week where the entire congregation takes part in this proclamation of the gospel. And it's meant to be a collective thing. We're supposed to feel that, that tension where we're saying words calling for Jesus' death on the cross, condemning an innocent one in place of a guilty man. We're meant to feel the discomfort speaking words of betrayal and denial. We're meant to recognize how often we fall far, far short of the selflessness and the sacrificial acts of the personification of love, Jesus, as he accepts the brutality and the humiliation and the injustice of it all.
All of this is meant to unsettle us, to get us out of our comfort zones, and to realize we're far from perfect. We all share the guilt in the fact that this world remains imperfect. And in our sinfulness, we all contribute to his death on the cross. But we're not meant to sit and wallow in that truth. Holy Week confronts us with the question, what is our response to the cross of Jesus Christ? If we follow the model of the world, cancel culture offers us easy, thoughtless, heartless ways to deal with all of life's questions, pretty much. In the space of 10 minutes or 10 seconds, you're asked to pronounce final judgment, punishment without the possibility of appeal or the hope of clemency. The gift we find in the mysteries of our faith as Jesus dies at the hands of a heartless, maniacal, outraged mob is how God incarnate takes a completely different approach, breaking the kill or be killed cycle of returning evil for evil. Jesus decisively and definitively conquers evil, not just in some theoretical, philosophical sense, but by pouring his entire life out, pouring it all out on the line, showing us that the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the peace that we desire is never going to be found joining in any angry mob looking at the next outrage. One reason so many find it hard to resist joining in those types of protests is because it distracts us from the guilt or shame or denial that we're suffering from because of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. It's in embracing the cross. It's in following Jesus' example that the healing and the peace and the joy that every human heart seeks is found in experiencing and in offering forgiveness. One of Jesus' last words on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. As we hear in the Passion narrative in the Gospel of Luke, and then on Easter Sunday, after Jesus is risen from the dead, he gifts the apostles with the Holy Spirit, and his first direction to them is to offer forgiveness. Those critical moments are meant to speak to us. Jesus calls on us to bring our sins to him, to make a thorough examination of conscience and a good confession so that we can personally experience his canceling out of our sin on the cross. And then in turn, to be ambassadors of his mercy, to participate in his sacrifice on the cross by offering forgiveness to others. The receiving and the giving of mercy are intimately linked. This Holy Week, we're invited to make a definitive choice. We can join and continue the endless cycle of outrage culture, responding to evil with evil, or we can break it by embracing the cross. To hear the call of Christ to receive and to offer his mercy, recognizing how it's the foundation for the new life of Easter resurrection to be experienced 
by a world which, left to its own worst impulses, only seeks to erase or cancel 